Welcome to SSI True Crime's second podcast. So this is episode two, and I'm sorry that it's been a bit late being uploaded. I've been really busy and just not very well. So yeah, so today's case I am covering is a missing persons case, and it's the case of Lee Boxall, who went missing in 1988. So yeah, we'll just jump straight into the case, because I don't really have a lot else to say beforehand. So, Lee Boxall was born on the 16th of February, 1973, in Surrey, in England. He was described as 5 foot 6 inches when he went missing. He was slim, with light brown hair. He was always described as a good lad, that never really got into trouble um, he never stayed out late, like he was never out past curfew. Um, he li- he lived with his mum, Christine, and his dad, Peter, and then he had a younger sister called Lindsay, who lived with them as well. He had a happy home life. There was no really cause for concern there. He he was happy. He loved his mum and his dad and his sister. Um, there's some good photos of you know him with them that when he's happy. And he had a good group of friends. Um, Lee also had a love for football. And football will actually take a big piece of this case. So on Saturday, the 10th of September, 1988. This was a normal Saturday. Lee woke up. He'd laid in a bit, like more than like the rest of his family. Um, He went downstairs and sat in his chair. And his dad asked him what his plans were for the day. He was still like half asleep and like didn't really want to talk. So he just mumbled something about football. His dad wouldn't really hear what he said but didn't want to like, press him, you know. Um, and his dad left the house. I believe his dad was going shopping. I'm not 100% sure. Um, and yeah, that would be the last time that his dad, Peter, ever spoke to him. So we know that Lee left his house in Cheam and he went to meet a friend at 11am. They met in Sutton which was nearby to where they live and they done some window shopping and then him and his friend parted ways at about 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Lee told his friend that he might go to Selhurst Park Football Stadium, I'm sorry if I did not pronounce that correctly to watch the match between Charlton Athletic FC and Will Millwall FC. But he wasn't sure what he was going to do. He just said he might go and see that. So at around 2.20, so this was like an hour and 20 minutes later, Lee was seen at Tesco's, which is in Sutton High Street, but it is now an Asda, but at the time it was Tesco's. And he spoke to two lads that knew him, but he never mentioned going to the football, so it was obvious he just had decided not to go. The kickoff was at three o'clock and it was already two twenty, so it is unlikely that Lee would have made it for kickoff anyway. So it is believed that he never actually attended the football. Peter arrived home at lunchtime, but he wasn't really surprised when Lee wasn't home because Lee had said about the football, you know he would. If the kickoff wasn't until three o'clock, they wouldn't be expecting him home at lunchtime. 
Christine was staying at her mother's house that night, which obviously would have been Lee's grandmother, and she rang their house at around five o'clock, thinking that Lee should be home by then, but Peter told her that he wasn't home yet. They wasn't too worried, he was 15 years old. 15 year olds stay out, you know, is what kids do. Okay, this would have been the very first time Lee had ever broken curfew or not arrived home on time, but it was the first time for everything. Nobody was overly concerned. So then 6 o'clock came, still no Lee, 7 o'clock, still no Lee. This is when they started to sense that something was wrong. It was 7 o'clock, he was due home a couple of hours ago, he was never known for being late. So Lee's parents decided to ring the police um, and just see, you know, they wasn't even actually, you know, filing was a missing person, it had only been a couple of hours, but they wanted to just check that he hadn't been arrested or been in trouble or an accident or anything, so there was no sign of him from the police, um, Christine also, oh I'm not sure actually, I might have got that wrong, one of Lee's parents rung the hospital as well to check if they'd seen Lee, there was no sign of him at the hospital as well. So Christine had was starting to really worry now, but Peter thought that maybe he was just with friends and that he'd be home soon. The next morning, Lee still wasn't home, so his parents decided to ring the police again, and this time the police were filing him as a missing person and they came to the house. The police originally thought that Lee was a 15-year-old boy. He was probably with friends, you know, lost track of time, went to a party maybe that he hadn't told his parents about. This happened all the time. The police were not overly concerned. But as the day carried on, there was still no sign of Lee. The police and Peter drove through Sutton High Street looking for him. They checked like the train station and stuff, but there was no sign of him anywhere. The police checked where Lee was known to hang out to see if he was still, you know, around, but there was no sign of him. They also contacted his friends and also relatives to see if maybe he was staying with one of them or if anyone had seen him in the past, like, day and a half. But there was still nothing and Lee still wasn't home. So day three of Lee being missing... And there was still no sign of him. The police had done an assessment of the family and had concluded that Lee had never been missing before and he had no reason to run away. So this pointed to something bad had happened. Not necessarily, you know, kidnap or anything. Maybe he'd been in an accident or, you know, maybe he was in some sort of trouble. So the police decided to bring in detective superintendent from the major investigations team to take over their inquiry. But there was no leads. They had no leads as to where Lee was or really where to even start investigating. So they started looking into the possibility that he'd run away. But again, they could find no evidence of this. There had been no body found. There was no there was no evidence Lee was anywhere. It was literally like he had vanished into thin air. And they really, the police didn't have a clue where Lee was. So 
The police decided to look into local paedophiles and sex offenders that were in the area. So this included one paedophile who lived nearly and had only been out of prison for a little while. I believe it was something like a month. So not very long at all. This paedophile was also known for molesting young boys. So it seemed like this could be a lead. Police were suspicious of him. But when he was interviewed, he had a strong alibi and was no longer considered a suspect. So the police were back to no suspects and still no idea where Lee was. A witness who remains anonymous said that Lee used to attend an unofficial youth club in, I'm sorry if I pronounced this wrong, Annex of St. Dustin's Church, known as The Shed. This was unknown information to police. The police have never heard of this shed before. Um, so the shed was mainly attended by girls, but there was also known that there was a few boys who attended the shed, and they all ranged, the girls and boys, from 13 to 15 years old. So this was around about Lee's age. And here at the shed, they would just smoke and drink, have a laugh. It wasn't really like a youth club. But there was a grave digger at the youth club whose name is William Lambert and he actually run the shed. Um, I'm not sure how old he was at the time but I know at the age of 75 he was actually jailed for 11 years and this was in 2011. So I believe he would have been around 50 at the time he went missing, I'm not sure in his 40s, 50, and he was jailed for 11 years for sexually abusing four girls at the shed. So there was more than just drinking and smoking going on there. So here, it's going to jump around a little bit um, from here, because the information I don't have an exact timeline, but a bank worker in a pub told a colleague that he knows what happened to Lee. And, but there was an off-duty police officer in the pub at the time and overheard this man boasting that him and some other lad had beaten up and killed a boy and also that they had buried him at the St. Dustin's Church. The guy was arrested and questioned, but he told police that it was empty boast, that it never happened, he just made it up to look big. Then one of his colleagues came forward and said that he had actually told her the, a similar story. Um, and that yes, they had he that she believed that he had buried a lad. Um, and she even took the police to the graveyard to try and find the grave that the man had described, but they couldn't find it, and the police had no evidence, so there was no further action taken against this man, and he was released. So Saint Dustin's was really the main topic of interest in this case. There was a lot of allegations about violence and threats, like to the children that if they spoke about the shed, things would happen to them. An anonymous witness said that there was a lot of sexual activity and inappropriate stuff happening at the shed around the time Lee went missing, which we already know because the grave digger would later be charged. The convicted paedophile who run the shed that was the grave digger I was talking about, um, would convince young girls that he had magical powers. 
and that if they slept with him he would improve their handwriting or help them pass exams whatever they needed um a lot of what i read said that it was all around like schoolwork and that he could help them get better grades to keep their parents happy and these girls they're young they're naive they believed him so christine lee's mum wouldn't give up the look for her son she contacted loads of places there was football clubs um coaches ferries anything that she could put his face on she was doing it she didn't want people to forget that lee was missing which I think is amazing, like, I'm not sure what I would do in that situation, and she must have been so strong to just keep fighting for her son. Um, she, was also, she was also walking around the streets of London looking for him. She would talk to, like, homeless people, because um, maybe he was living homeless, so she would ask other homeless people if they'd seen him. Um, I watched a really touching video of her speaking to one of these homeless people, and he said he'd never seen Lee. And you could see it it was gutting for her, but she was so strong to keep doing that. But still no sign of Lee. So two more witnesses, again anonymous witnesses, came forward. And they had seen Lee at the shed, but this was before he had disappeared. And they claimed that two weeks after he disappeared, they had reattended the shed. Um, and there was a mattress there. That seemed to have this weird stain on it, which the stain couldn't be confirmed, but they believe it was a blood stain and that it smelt really bad. One of the girls even said that it was making her dry heave. Um, she can't remember if she was actually sick, but it like made her feel sick. It was that bad. But Lee's parents said that they don't think the shed was somewhere that Lee would hang out. He he wasn't that type of lad. But his friend said that he did keep small secrets from his parents, but nothing that was really bad or would have got him in trouble majorly. So there is a possibility that, you know, he did attend this shed. So the police did believe for a while that Lee had been murdered and buried in the graveyard of the church. There was a claim made by an individual. I'm not sure the person's name. I'm assuming it's another anonymous one. That Lee had been buried in the graveyard using something called the craze technique. Meaning he was buried in a freshly dug grave. So, you know, when they dig a grave, they would dig like a hole to put the coffin in. So what happens with the craze technique is they dig again, place the body, cover it with dirt. So it would look the same as the way the grave digger had left it. The coffin would be placed on top of the dirt, dirt on top of the coffin. As far as anyone's concerned, it's just the coffin in that hole. So in 2012, the police decided they would dig up the graveyard and look for Lee's body. But they were had to be careful not to disturb the graves. They were only given permission to dig in between the graves, around the graves. They weren't allowed to dig up any graves. Which I think is ridiculous, because if that is true then they would have only had to have dug up the graves for around the time Lee went missing, maybe a week or two, for the week or two after he went missing. This mattress was seen two weeks after he went missing, so I would believe around two weeks would have been a perfectly fine, 
But no, the police just dug around the grave, and of course, nothing was found of Lee. Which, in a way, is good, because I do like to believe that he is still out there. I'm not sure. There is no evidence either way. There's no evidence that he's deceased. There's no evidence that he's still alive. It's literally like he just vanished. But Peter, Lee's dad, he had a dream about singing a song about Lee. And I believe it was at a church. And he went and, you know, he arranged it and he sang at this church. And he is now part of what is called the Missing People's Choir. And you can actually, if you look on YouTube, they appeared on Britain's Got Talent. You can watch them there. There's loads of videos of them. It's very emotional because everybody in the choir has a relative or a friend or someone who's missing. Very emotional. So you do listen to them. Keep the tissues at the ready. That's it for the case, really. There's not that much more information. But if you have any information about Lee, no matter how small it is or how insignificant you think it is, please, please contact the police. If you visit our SSI True Crime Facebook page, there is also a post about Lee that you can share. Um, I will check now. I believe we have 480 shares at the moment. So we're really just trying to get Lee's face out there, tell people his story. Um, yeah, just we can't forget that Lee is still missing, and his family have the right to know what happened to him. The post has 483 shares, so I'm hoping with this podcast we can get to over 500. And yeah, there's um, there's also a group for Lee that you can follow. Um, let me just check the name of it so I get it correct. Bear with me two seconds. I will find it. And it's called Someone Out There Must Know What Happened to Missing Lee. I'm not sure if it's Lee Box or it doesn't give me the full name for some reason. I don't know why Facebook isn't giving me the full name. But if you put Lee Boxall into Facebook, the group should come up. So please go check that out. Give his um I know his dad's on Facebook. He sent me some lovely comments about my post. So yeah, check out that group, check out SSI True Crime, and please share Lee's post. And yeah, let's try and get the answers that Lee's family deserve. Thank you for listening to today's podcast, and I will be with you hopefully again next week for episode three. Thank you and goodbye.